Welcome to the Genealogy Gems Podcast, providing quick and innovative ways to make the absolute most out of your research time and creative ideas for sharing and displaying your family history. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. Hello, and thank you for joining me for episode 43 of the Genealogy Gems Podcast. You can find us on the web at genealogygems.tv. Well, it's been a busy week this last week, and guess what? I became a grandmother. Well, sort of a grandmother. I became the grandmother of a horse named Vinny. My daughter, Lacey, bought a horse this week, and it is definitely her baby. Actually, he's a real sweetheart. He's a bay, she tells me, and I don't think she could have made a better choice. So I spent a lot of time this last week standing in a very cold barn and arena watching them get to know each other. And when I wasn't braving the elements, I was sewing prom dresses and getting my daughter Hannah ready for the high school prom. It's all going by so fast. I mean, it doesn't seem that long ago that she was climbing the apple tree in the front yard and knocking her front tooth out in the kindergarten playground. So I know that you parents out there know what I'm talking about. <laughs> you know, you, you dress them up and they go from 16 to 25. I don't know how that happens. But you can just imagine now, you know, being a parent really helps me understand, you know, how my parents must have felt as we were growing up. But amongst all this fun stuff with my kidlets, I have been planning what I think is a really interesting show this week. Now, first, I want to send a thank you out to genealogy columnist Kimberly Powell of About.com for listing the Genealogy Gems podcast in her recent column called Genealogy Podcast for Your Listening Pleasure. So that was terrific. Thank you, Kimberly. And uh, I will have a link for that in the show notes for you if you haven't checked out her column. And this week at the Genealogy Gems News Blog, I'll introduce you to Tyler McNiven. Does that name sound familiar? Well, he was one of the million-dollar winners of the CBS television show, The Amazing Race. My daughter, Lacey, and I had a chance to visit with him and discovered that he has taken an, an ancestral journey that I think is probably a one-of-the-kind. I don't know anyone who has done what Tyler has done in order to find an ancestor. So you're not going to want to miss this posting. Be sure and check out the Genealogy Gems news blog this week. And I've got a couple of other postings out there, um, including the news that the British newspaper, The Daily Mirror, is going to be making available online back issues of their newspaper back to 1903. So that's good news for those of us doing British research. And gosh, what else is going on? Well, it's just I've got so many terrific interviews today. I'm really excited. It's, it's funny when it rains, it pours. And um, in many cases, I thought, well, I could tell you about these things. But then I thought, why not go to the, the source and talk to the people involved in them? But first, let's go to the mailbox. Well, in our mailbox today, I have an email from Michelle Goodrum. And Michelle writes um, that she says, I am a longtime listener of your podcast and have been meaning to write you forever. However, after your recent episode, when you discussed checking out children's books for your high school daughter who was having trouble with biology, I could wait no longer. I was literally listening to that episode when I picked up my high school daughter from school and she got into the car and she started telling me how she didn't understand what her biology teacher was teaching in class. 
Needless to say, a trip to the library was made, the appropriate children's books were found, and she learned what she needed to. Thank you. Oh, I'm so happy that worked for you. <laughs> uh, we're still doing that in biology. And Michelle goes on to say, I have ancestors from Boulder, Colorado, so I've made several trips there. And uh, she went there actually to go to the same softball tournament that I went to last year. And she says that she snuck away from the softball games to do genealogy. She says, I was able to visit the Denver Public Library, Boulder Public Library, the University of Colorado Archives, and the Carnegie Library in Boulder. In addition, I visited the Columbia Cemetery in Boulder, where my ancestors are buried. Best of all, the genealogist at Carnegie helped me physically locate my ancestors' homestead, and I was able to drive there and take pictures. What a thrill to stand on the ground where my ancestors lived. I've attached a photo of myself standing in the middle of what was the, his homestead. Now it is a nice residential neighborhood. So she says she loves the podcast, and um, you are so sweet, Michelle. Thank you so much for writing. Please don't take so long to write next time. <laughs> I'm glad you got around to it because the picture is terrific. It's funny you're standing there in this um, residential suburban neighborhood, and to think that that's where your ancestor once lived. So I'm going to have that photograph of Michelle Goodrum posted on the podcast listener page, and I'll have a link to that in um, the, today's show notes for episode 43. So you can see her standing in the old homestead. And in fact, it reminded me so much of um, a, several years ago, I finally got a chance to go over to uh, a nearby county here in California, and I had finally tracked down the ranch that my great-grandparents had worked on um, when they first came over to California in 1918. And back then it was called the Trost Ranch, and great-grandmother was the cook, and great-grandfather was the ranch foreman. And I didn't get to hear many stories about that, but I was always um, very clear on the fact that they had worked there and that that was um, the role that they had, and that was just to get them settled. So we found the ranch and took a picture of me out there in front, and I feel very lucky because it's not a suburban neighborhood yet. It still looks like, you know, rolling hills and and um, a great old ranch. So anyway, I will, maybe I'll post that in the show notes. I don't know. We'll see. But it is so much fun. I encourage you, if you haven't had a chance to track down a, an actual location and go there and see the terrain and the environment, or just see the changes that have happened, it's really fun. And it's fun to get a picture of yourself there. So thank you for sharing that, Michelle. Okay, well, coming up next is a gem that I at first was just going to tell you about, and then I decided maybe I need to get a hold of these people and find out what's going on. You may have heard that Borders Books is opening up what they're calling concept stores, and these are going to include a wonderful touch of family history. As I mentioned, you may have heard recently in the news that Borders Books is opening some new concept stores. Um, they're opening around the country. They're starting with their first store in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And they're going to feature, among many other things, a new digital center. And one of the things that will interest us as genealogists is that they have decided to feature Ancestry.com and researching your own family history as one of the cornerstones of this digital center. So I got an opportunity to talk to Dylan Barrell, Director of Digital Business for Borders Books, and to find out more how all this came about 
and what we might find as family historians at Borders Books. So here comes the interview. Well, on February 14, 2008, Borders announced the launch of their new concept stores. And what caught my eye about this announcement was that visitors to the concept stores will find digital centers that include a family history research feature. Well, today I'm talking with Dylan Barrell, Director of Digital Business for Borders, to find out more about the new Borders concept stores and what they may have to offer us as genealogists. Welcome to the show, Dylan. Hello, Lisa. So, tell my listeners, I, I think we've caught wind of, of these new concept stores, but tell us what is a Borders Concept Store? Well, Borders Concept Store is um, a new store which has been redesigned uh, to try to differentiate Borders and, and move Borders into, um, into the future, if you will. To try and differentiate Borders from the competition um, and, and make, essentially make people willing to drive that extra five or ten minutes past uh, one of the other places they could buy some of the products that we sell to come to Borders to do things and purchase things and experience things that they, they cannot experience at other stores. And it sounds like this is going to be including a digital center. Maybe you can tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, yeah. Digital center is kind of, you know, a really big piece of the new concept store. And just in general in the concept store, what we decided to do was to integrate a lot of new technology into the store, so enhance the, the, the traditional products that we carry with some digital experience and digital content, but also to integrate and find uh, great ways to create a, what we call a cross-channel experience. And by cross-channel, we mean you know, not simply multi-channel, which is where you have different places that you sell the same products, sometimes online, sometimes in the store, but really to take those, those multiple channels and to integrate them in such a way that they enhance each other and, and the sum is more than, you know, than just the, the whole is more than just the sum of the parts. One of the things that we want to do in our cross-channel experience is to integrate online components into the store. Uh, so some simple examples of that are, um, you know, w when we take our, our website back from Amazon, uh, which is going to happen sometime this quarter, um, the, the ability to, to look at reviews of products online is something that's, that's expected and it's, and it's, uh, you know, it's common, um, but that's not available in a lot of stores. So the ability to take a review of a book um, or some other product, a, a movie and a DVD, uh, on a DVD or a CD, and to be able to make that review or, the, or, or multiple customer reviews available in the store so that people looking for products can not only find the product and find information about the product that's kind of standard information, but can access some of that user-generated content in the store as well. And therefore, their in-store experience becomes um, you know, more than just uh, than, than what you would get in a traditional store. So that's one of the, one of the examples of what we've tried to do in the store is to take online bring it into the store in such a way that it enhances the store experience and makes it more than just, you know, just, just the, the, the traditional store. That's great. Now, you mentioned um, taking it back from Amazon. Borders is currently part of the Amazon um, website at this point, and what, you'll be going then independent and, and having your own location on, on the net as well as in the store? Yes, that, that was announced uh, as part of our strategic plan. Um, that sometime this quarter, and the Borders quarter starts in February, so sometime uh, before the end of April we will be launching a new Borders.com. Um, 
Terrific. So if we're in the store and we're looking for a particular uh, book that might help us with our, our family history research, which of course is what my audience is interested in, um, they're going to have what's available on the shelf, it sounds like. They're also going to be able to look online to see what you might have online for them, as well as then also getting feedback about whether that book is really what they're looking for based on what other people are saying about it. Yeah, and, and the digital center goes a little bit further in the area of genealogy. So, you know, whereas we've incorporated this uh, cross-channel concept in the entire store, what we've done in the area of genealogy is we've actually taken um, the, the online Ancestry.com service and we've exposed that in the store in a couple of ways. First of all, customers can come into the store and they can access an institutional account from Ancestry.com and they can do research and access all the records. And that really gives those people who are interested in genealogy, perhaps interested in various different subscription models from Ancestry, but they don't quite know whether it's right for them, gives them the ability to come and try that out in the store. Um, and they can then decide then and there whether they like that and they could sign up for a subscription themselves. We have actually also taken the online subscription and put it into what we call a in-a-box type concept so that you can actually purchase a physical product which gives you access to the online service. And that's great for a couple of reasons, but in particular what really makes it unique is it gives you a way to, uh, to gift an online service, which is not something that's, that's that easy to do. In particular, you know, uh, current ways of gifting online services maybe uh, appear in your email inbox or something like that, but this gives you a nice gift that you can take home and wrap up and give to somebody who might be interested. So if your father or your grandfather or your mother is interested in this, you can purchase it for them um, and, and give them that, that introduction to genealogy online. And then in the same section, we've also got the ability uh, for customers to go onto Ancestry.com and order their My Name and History book for shipping to, uh, to their home. And then in the same location, kind of cross-merchandised, we have a lot of books that for the beginner or for, you know, even some of them for the more advanced uh, genealogy buff, give them, uh, you know, some books that help them to get up to speed for how to do research. So things like, you know, how to research your Irish ancestry, ancestors. We have books on the Ancestry.com service itself. So a lot of cross-merchandised product that kind of enhance that online experience as well. Oh, that's great. Well, now, how did it? How did genealogy um, come to the surface as an area that you wanted to target in the stores? Well, just in the bo you know the bottom line is it fits very well with our demographic, and uh, the borders demographic is is a little bit older than 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 uh, than average, and you know it's, it just fits very very well with with um, you know the the people that that uh, currently are inter more interested in genealogy. Uh, what we've also found is, uh, you know, these, these online services don't have a physical representation. So whereas, you know, younger people are, are more adept at going online and finding this type of service themselves, it's harder for these online services to reach that kind of more mature audience. And so it gave um, Ancestry an opportunity to, to get um, easy reach into, uh, into an, uh, an audience that, that really appealed to them. So it sort of kind of gives them a, a storefront presence, if you will. It does. It gives a, you know, it's a kind of a new concept that we're trying out here is how do you create a physical storefront presence for an online service and, and use that to drive, uh, you know, drive acquisition of customers, online revenues, uh, etc. So when we talk about Ancestry in a box or something that you could give as a gift, are we talking a gift card or what, what does the physical item look like that you might walk out of the store with? Well, it's a little box that looks, you know, pretty similar to what software used to be sold in. 
Oh. But actually, we do also sell the the, my, the uh, Ancestry uh, Family Tree Maker software as well. But it's basically a, a similar size box to that. Um, it has the information about what you're getting in the subscription um, on the back of it. But you know, really, um, it's really just something that's a physical representation with a with a a code inside that the user can uh, redeem online that gives them the, the, the credit for the online subscription. Well, that's kind of exciting because it, it does make it a very tangible thing, and I know a lot of us who are interested in family history are trying to find ways to uh, intrigue the non-family historian to get involved, to become interested, and so this really does give them something that's real and tangible. Yeah, it does, and I mean, I think the, you know, the interesting thing about us bringing this into the store as well is when people, you know, come up to this kiosk, they've never, you know, looked at a, a, you know, a genealogy website before, and they do a search on their name, and it brings up the World War One draft uh, record of their, you know, their grandfather, and they see their grandfather's signature. You know, it's just an exciting and a very personal thing, and it, and it really brings it home to them. Um, and we, you know, we see people who, who never even dreamed they'd be interested in this stuff really you can see it sparking that interest in them. It's a very exciting thing for us to be able to do that. Oh, that's that's wonderful. Well, now your press release mentions that it's all without being computer experts because we've dedicated trained staff there to help you every step of the way. So in what form would that be available, that um, trained staff for patrons who are coming in and maybe are first-time users of Ancestry? This is their first exposure. Well, our staff have been trained um, on the actual service itself, so they've had time uh, using the Ancestry.com service. They know a lot of the features. They're obviously, um, you know, maybe not quite as as, as up to speed on the on the details of that as the Ancestry.com um, support staff. But they can uh, really help the customer to use the institutional account in the store and talk to them about the types of research that they can do and really get the customer up and, and starting so that they can then start to use the institutional account in the store and then once they've purchased a subscription, you know, can, can feel more comfortable going home and continuing that at home. And really, that's part of it. You know, part of, part of the, you know, what's, what stops the uptake of a lot more of these services is getting over that initial hump and becoming, you know, be, becoming comfortable with it and understanding that it's really not as complicated as I thought it was. And that's really the level of training that we've given our staff in Ancestry in particular is enough to help the customer become really comfortable that they'll be able to do it at home uh, once they take that, that subscription or that other product home. Great. Now, if you get them hooked and they find that first World War I record, would they have the ability to be able to print it out and take it home and say, wow, I found this and I think I want to know more? Yes, we can do that. Um, Although our printing capabilities in the store are not quite as good as they would be for you at home. Mm -hmm. But it, we do have the ability, if you found that World War I draft record, to print it out right there in the store. Um, obviously, you know, um, if people are going to be printing large amounts of, of information, um, you know, that's not, it's not something you want to encourage people to do, but it is something that they can do. It's kind of, kind of a, a little takeaway to remind themselves or a little uh, something to give somebody, you know, somebody else in their family. Um, they do have that opportunity. So they could bring that home and say, look what I found. You've got to come back with me because I think I want to do this. Exactly. <laughs> Great. Well, I know that Ann Arbor is going to be your first uh, concept store. Where else are you expecting to launch these stores? And are you building new stores or are you uh, kind of re retrofitting the ones that you have? Well, for our initial, you know, for this year, most of the stores we're doing this in, uh, a large majority of them are new stores. 
but we do have two um, two remodels that we are doing, uh, or relocations. I think they are. We're actually moving one store from one place to another place in the same market. Um, and the, uh, yeah, the list is available online. I don't have the URL for you, but we can send that to you. Well, and I'll be sure to include that in the show notes so that our listeners can go and and see in the show notes for this episode. Um, what the stores are going to be, where they're going to be located, so they can find one near them. But it sounds like they're kind of spread out around the country then. Oh, yeah. We've definitely chosen a lot of different markets. Um, we've also chosen markets that are, you know, not necessarily the biggest markets. Um, we, we really want to take this digital center, you know, to the, to the core heartland, you know, the, the average American uh, cities and, and towns. So uh, when you see that, you'll see there's really a, a, a broad selection of different types of locations across the country. Well, this is great. Um, Dylan, I appreciate so much you taking some time to kind of walk us through what might be available. And I think um, it sounds like a really exciting concept and one that's going to uh, particularly help introduce the new genealogists, because that's what we're all interested in, is getting more people interested and active in their family history. Yeah, and we're, we're very excited about that. And we'd, we'd love to hear from your listeners what they, what they think about this and if they have any suggestions for us as to how we could improve it, you know, we're, we're certainly open to feedback and, and to, to learning as to how we can make this better over time. Well, wonderful. We are certainly a group with uh, some ideas and opinions. So, folks, you've heard uh, Dylan is looking for our input. Um, if you have some ideas or some comments, feel free to email them to me at genealogygemspodcast at gmail.com, and we'll forward them over to them and, and have some input. Dylan, thank you so much for taking the time out today to talk to us. This has been really fascinating. Thank you for your time, Lisa. Thanks. Bye-bye. Well, it's going to be really interesting to see how a physical store location incorporates the virtual world of the Internet and um, things like online subscriptions, such as Ancestry.com. Now, uh, we mentioned that there are going to be quite a few stores opening up in this coming year. Um, they'll be in Nevada, Florida, Indiana, Connecticut, California, Massachusetts, all over the place. So I will have a comprehensive list of those stores that will be opening in today's show notes, as well as um, a link to Border Stores. Well, coming up next is my interview with Marcy Brown, uh, one of the founding partners of RootsTelevision.com who I got a chance to speak to recently at the Family History Expo in St. George, Utah. Well, I'm here with Marcy Brown from Roots Television, and um, it's a joy to meet you. I mean, I feel like I, I know you and you have shared some of my videos with you, and you guys have been gracious enough to show them. So wonderful to meet you today. Lisa, it has been a lot of fun having your videos on Roots Television. You bring a, a very creative fun approach to genealogy that people can relate to and I hope you keep it up. Absolutely. Well, I'm just so glad you guys are game. <laughs> I didn't know when I shot Socks to America over to you if they'd write back and go, thank you, no thank you. <laughs> no, no, we'd seen some of your work before and knew you had uh, some creative juices flowing and it would be fun whatever you did. So. Oh, thank you. Well, um, what is going on? I mean, you guys, I've noticed there's a little bit of a revamp on the website. So tell us about, obviously, there's some new things in the hopper for Roots Television. What's going on? You know, it, everything always takes a little longer than you want it to when you're, when you're approaching these, uh, these new frontiers in te technology. So we have spent the last, basically the last year in beta mode, trying to make sure that we have our platform where we want it to be and our website where we need it to be and really evaluating content, seeing what viewers want and what um, makes sense to be providing and 
we think now we're at a point where we're ready to go to kind of the next level. We're um, heading into a new frontier where we're going to be doing a lot more advertising in terms of getting the word out there and uh, drawing people to the site. We have 24 channels. We have over a thousand video segments now and growing. And we're in uh, conversations with other platforms to see how, how we might be able to expand and make sure that we bring this to the broadest audience. But we continue to want to have uh, viewer feedback and see what's working and, and not working for folks and just keep getting content out there that makes sense. Well, for those who maybe by chance have not seen Roots Television yet, um, give us a, an idea, a flavor of what kinds of things can we watch. And what's so exciting is, is that it's, it's audio, it's visual, it's instructional, so we're getting the whole thing. Tell us what kinds of videos we'd find. Well, this all started, uh, see if I can do this in a, in a summary here. It all started when Megan Smolenyak and I said to each other, why is there no programming out there other than Ancestors, which I have produced? Why is there no... Uh, media out there that addresses family history. It's a huge market. People are interested in this. And, and if you see our website, we, we uh, sort of chuckle about the fact that there's a wine channel and a horse channel and a poker channel and every channel you can think of, but where's the family history channel? So we just decided to do something about it. And uh, when we could see that, that internet and television were beginning to merge, we thought that coming through an internet portal would be the best way. So when you come to Roots Television, you'll find a combination of lectures, uh, conference coverage. We try to get to the major conferences and some of the smaller conferences and see what's happening. We do a lot of interviews with people who uh, tell us what, what's on the horizon for them. We have original series. We're quite happy about our series. We have a DNA stories series. We have uh, a new series that just launched this week called Down Under. No, it's not Australia. It's about cemeteries. And our very first episode was posted with the uh, genealogy guys out of Tampa, who also have a podcast. And, and they, uh, they're hosting our first episode, which is now up on Roots Television. And we'll be doing many more of those uh, in different locations. So we're, we're reaching out with uh, family history content on multiple fronts. And that's exciting because there are, you know, the folks who just can't get to a conference, either too far away or can't take the time off, um, but they're just a click away then from experiencing the conferences, hearing some of the speakers. So that's really um, a, a wonderful product that you can bring into the home of anybody who has an internet connection. Absolutely. And there are so many uh, people contributing in family history. For example, we had an opportunity to take some of the lectures at the Family History Library not too long ago. And we hope to do more of that and, and get those out because there are many, many resources, but um, our job is to make sure that people can find us and then find the resources they need, whatever level they're in and whatever their interest might be. So um, you said, what do you have, about 20 channels, did you say? Yes, we, ha we have 24 channels right now and growing. And uh, we cover things all, all the way from Hispanic roots, African roots, Jewish roots, uh, British roots, Irish roots. Uh, we have a kids channel. We have a DNA channel. We have Dearly Departed, which is about cemeteries and, and those kinds of records. So, so if you come into Roots Television, just do a search on a topic that's of interest to you or a particular speaker or name, and uh, it'll pull up anything in that genre that we have. What do you find is the most popular? What are you getting the most hits on these days, topic-wise? You know, DNA is just a hot topic. Everybody wants to know about that, and our DNA Stories series has been very popular. Um, 
it's just all over the map. We, we really do find that we have, we try to capture screenshots of where in the world people are watching Roots Television on our tracking services, and we have viewers from literally all over the world, you know, at any given moment. And so the research interests, as you know, in family history become very diverse very quickly. So it's uh, keeping on top of the many, many interests that people have is challenging. But I'd say DNA is always popular. Uh, British roots are very popular. Irish has been a, a popular one, the Annie Moore story and right. some of our Irish roots. And Roots Tube. I didn't mention that, but Lisa, that's how we first discovered you right. happily, <laughs> was we have a, a channel called Roots Tube where people can upload their own video and projects. And uh, we take a look at them first, but if it's content that would fit in one of our channels, we are happy to show it. So anybody who's um, using the video platform could and has an interest and would like to submit something and, and see if you guys are interested could certainly do that. I know it was a very simple process, and it was really a fun way to um, kind of get involved. Thanks for that uh, endorsement, because I think it is a simple process. And, for example, just this morning we talked to a woman who teaches classes in in Spanish in Los Angeles and she was saying how she'd like to have more um, Spanish content and we encouraged her to do some short segments on her own and upload them and as long as you know it fits in with with um, the kind of instruction that people are looking for we'd love to post it. Well it's wonderful that you have Megan Smolniak because I mean that she is the authority on DNA and I think what I often hear is um, everybody now knows that that's a resource but it's the next step. How do I get a sense or get my bearings on how to utilize DNA in my research? And I think she's done a tremendous job of helping the novice just get started and take the baby steps and realize it's really just available to everybody. Absolutely. And we do try whenever possible in our own productions to make things story related. That's what you do too, Lisa. You, you, know, you, like, you know people like stories and they like to relate to that. So we just posted not too long ago um, Megan's own story, her DNA search. Did she marry her cousin? Right. Smolignac, Smolignac. And um, whenever we can, we do that, try to find stories that make it accessible so people uh, who are wondering about different aspects of family history can see how it really relates in, in people's lives and how, they, how it relates to their stories. And, and how about for you personally, Marcy? Is Roots Television a full-time endeavor for you, or do you have your, your fingers in other genealogy pots? You know, I, I uh, come to this as a media producer rather than a genealogist, so I do have my hands in some other things and have other projects going from time to time. But, but Roots has been a real um, first love for both Megan and myself, I think, for the last couple of years, trying to find a way to get this out to the general public. And uh, we have a... A small operation, but we're growing. <laughs> right. Well, wonderful. Well, it's just been wonderful to have a chance to finally meet up with you. It's a joy to meet you, and um, I encourage all the listeners to check out Roots Television because it just adds that extra dimension to um, keeping us all inspired to keep working and moving forward on our, our research. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Lisa, and thank you for participating. And please keep sending us your videos, and let's see if we can uh, get a, a real following going for your work because we already have a good start on that, and I think there's more to come. So thank you for the time. Thank you. RootsTelevision.com, should I say that? Oh, yes. Tell us the website. <laughs> if you want to find us, it's uh, www.RootsTelevision, not TV, RootsTelevision.com. Hope to see you there. Perfect. We'll have a link on the show notes. Thank you, Marcy. Thanks, Lisa. Well, one of my favorite things about attending genealogy conferences is the chance to get to meet in person with so many people that we've come to know over the Internet. 
So thank you so much to Marcy Brown for talking with us today. And we're not done with our interviews yet. There are some new things brewing at the U.S. Census Bureau. And coming up in our next gym, we'll be talking to the source. Well, there's some new information coming out that you may have picked up on on the Internet about a new history website that's being launched by the U.S. Census Bureau. Well, when I caught wind of that, I knew I wanted to talk to them in person and find out what's up and when this is coming. So I got a chance to talk with Bill Morey. He's the chief of history staff at the U.S. Census Bureau, and he's going to tell us what's in store and what this new website might offer to us as genealogists. Well, the U.S. Census Bureau recently announced that it will be launching a new Internet website dedicated to the history of census taking in the United States. Now, it's tentatively scheduled for release in March of 2008, so I have invited Bill Morey, who is the Chief of History Staff at the U.S. Census Bureau, to kind of give us a sneak peek at this um, really great new resource. We've been hearing just little snippets, you know, as uh -huh. it's been released, that there might be this new website coming up. So uh -huh. I was hoping we could just start by having you give us an overview of what we will find at this new history website. Basically, what we hope is that we'll be able to find just about everything to do with the history of the Census and the Census Bureau. Uh, this is a very uh, wide-ranging website, and uh, rather than go into great detail, uh, and say what is in it, I'd probably better just say, uh, rather than spend the whole day doing it, there's, there's, oh, we, missed, we try to miss almost nothing. So that's basically what we're looking at. We're trying to do all aspects of it, both the decennial census or the history of or the, or the census of population and housing, as well as the economic census and all the various surveys. Wonderful. Well, I'm, I'm curious, what prompted the creation of this new website? Well, uh, the, the Census Bureau gets literally thousands of uh, historical calls of all sorts uh, about the history of the Census Bureau and the history of the census. So uh, after a while with the uh, centennial celebration in 2002 and then various other things, uh, the history staff and MSO, which it no longer exists as a separate division, put out, uh, decided to come up with uh, some format, and we ended up with this format, which is this web page, website. Terrific. And so this is going to take us all the way back to the beginning to 1790, right? Correct. Yes. Great. Now, I know that um, in the little blurb that I read that it mentioned that um, there was the, the economic census as well as mm -hmm. the decennial census. Tell us a little bit about what is the economic census. Well, the economic census was actually part of the decennial census since about 1810, on and off throughout the 19th century. It became more and more... Uh, permanent feature of it. Uh, it actually became a permanent feature of the census as a whole, a separate census, in 1905. So it collects information on manufacturing, mining, businesses in general, and uh, now it's more and more related to uh, the whole North American uh, uh, sector, so it gets, we have a, it's, it's involved with all aspects of, a, of businesses in America, in, in short order. It, it comes out every five years, on years beginning, uh, ending with a two or a seven. Okay. And uh, it's uh, got the same reports and things of that nature. It's not obviously as large as the decennial census, but it is very big. In fact, it was the first one to deal 
with a mail-out, mail-back system that we now use all the time. So this, for the family historian, is perhaps going to be uh, an interesting look at the overall um, society that our ancestors may have been living in and how you, as a Bureau, went about um, finding out what was going on in America. That's true. In addition to that, people who look back at the economic censuses were able to find out, and you have to go back to the roles, but find out, uh, you know, maybe uh, Uncle Joe or something like that, or distant great-great-great-grandfather Joe was a farmer or was a blacksmith or something like that. You can find out a bit about him that way. So, you know, it depends on how thorough genealogical people are uh, and want to go uh, that the uh, economic census could be of value to them. Oh, well, I guarantee. I know that a lot of our listeners are um, very interesting in, in uh, going well, as far as they is, can. So. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, I know also in the press release it mentioned something about um, a different, different types of historic documents that visitors might find in that decade-by-decade historical facts browse feature. Maybe you could tell uh -huh. us a little bit about that and what we might be finding there. Well, they can find a number of things. There's a, sort of an outline of the decade, but one of the things they might be really interested in are facsimiles of the um, various schedules. And so you can go through those and find out what the schedules look like, the kinds of questions that were asked, and things of that nature. In addition, there is some minor, um, well, not really substantial uh, genealogical information. Uh, mentioning what schedules have been, have been lost to, to fire or some sort of other damage, what schedules are available, and things of that nature. Okay, so great. It's, it's a sort of a, a grab bag of information about the census and about the decades and changes within the census and things of that nature. Neat. Now, I know in uh, my husband's case, his great-grandfather was actually the enumerator in his town. Oh, really? Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious, and we saw his name on there. Will we learn anything about who were the thousands of people who went door-to-door -door and any old photographs or things about that element of the history? Well, it depends. Uh, there are some of these, some enumerators uh, have written uh, stories or uh, sort of uh, brief little diaries about their, their activities as enumerators, you know, like I was chased by a dog or I got yeah. uh, huge blisters or one thing or another. And, you know, they really went through, I mean, it would make a great movie. They went through <laughs> some tremendously exciting things like having to complete their enumeration within a given period of time when there was a horrible flood or something like that or a huge snowstorm. So all of these things came into play. And as a you know, as a specific discipline, finding what all the enumerators did is it's, that's almost impossible, or even to get their names. But individual members, yes, you can find some of that information. We don't have it. You'd have to go to sent to the archives. Most of the information about the census and about the individual people is at the archives. We don't maintain it here. Will this be a stagnant website of just, you know, you've got your information, you're putting it up there? Will you be regularly adding new oh, information? Oh, no. We are going to be adding all the time. I mean, one of the things that we realize as we're getting into this, that this is, that, you know, we knew it already because that's what we are as historians, but it's a huge uh, activity, and we're going to be expanding it and putting new things on all the time. We probably will at some point sort of phase some things out, but most of the stuff is just going to stay on there forever. And in addition, we will have such things as a document of the month or a place for people to have comments, and we're going to have sights and sounds of the various decades and things of that nature. So we're constantly going to be changing it and updating it, and it will be something new at least every six weeks or so. Oh, that's fascinating. Well, that's terrific. I mean, you're right. You guys are such a, a hub of 
really the history of America and, yeah. you know, place by place, house by house, store by store. Right. Well, is there anything else that kind of stands out to you? You've had a chance to, to uh, look at it and work with it and develop it. Well, anything else that we might keep our eyes out for? It's going to be a comprehensive site. What should we right. be looking for initially when we get on there and go run and take a look at this particular thing? Anything that stands out to you? Well, anything that you want. We're trying to make it so it's very user-friendly. We've been, uh, we are not, as a rule, <laughs> a sort of... Uh, uh, internet uh, uh, literate, although we do have an intern who's 22 years old. And he seems to be <laughs> catching, he's catching on real, real, real quick and doing a terrific job. Sure. But I think what, what we hope to do is make it so that if a person has a question, we intend to put in a search engine within it. We haven't gotten that yet, but we're going to put a search engine in into the overall historical website. So those various factors will be in there. But one of the things that you mentioned, and I think it's very true, is that Almost every aspect of American history is dealt with by the Census Bureau at some point. Yes. So you can find all kinds of things, not just people who are interested in genealogy. And we want to make it so that the history will go out to uh, the census in the schools programs to be also to be used by, by uh, uh, undergraduate and graduate students in universities and even professors who are doing research. So we want to make it as broad-based as possible, and actually all the way down from like the third grade up to you know, uh, postdoctoral people. So that's what we're looking at with it. Wow, meeting an awful lot of needs that way. Yeah. Now, will we there hope. will there be any type of a, a blog, or how will people kind of get the updates on what might be new and up and coming at that site? Basically, we will have you know to be you know soon soon appearing or something like that, sort mm-hmm. of like coming attractions. But we will also have a comment box where somebody will be able to drop lines, and they'll be responded to by us. Depending on if you know if there are a gazillion of them, obviously we won't be able to respond to all of them. But if there are a gazillion of them, they will have a pattern enough that we can respond to the pattern. But that's what we're hoping to do: is have a have a comment box. And that's something that we expect to start within the first or second update. The updates are are sort of unevenly scheduled for the first in about six weeks, and then about two months after that, and on a regular two-month basis after that. Great. Well, and then that brings us to the question of: Do you have a target date of the launch of the website? Well, sir, we expect to have, we don't expect, we're pretty sure we're going to go out on the 7th, of, by the 7th of March, no later than the 7th of March. Oh, fantastic. So, which is next, uh, next Friday a week. Mm-hmm. And that's what, we're, that's what we're looking at. It's been a long time in coming, but, uh, and we've done a lot of research, and a lot of people have given us a tremendous amount of help. But that's what we're looking for. Wow. So and that brings up a question. How long has this been in the works? How long have you been planning on this? You've been... Well, uh, the, from the very origins of it, and it goes back to about uh, at, at least to the time of the, descent, of the um, centennial celebration of the Census Bureau in 2002 when it became a separate agency. Right. And uh, so and it's been going, it's had some fits and starts, and it was going very uh, hardcore there for about two years, from about 2005 to 2000, well, 2005, 2006, and then it, it dropped off the table and came back to life uh, about a year ago, and we've been working very diligently on it since. And we're really fortunate, particularly, to have this one particular intern who's given us a great deal of help. Well, wonderful. Well, I can tell you that, that the folks out there listening to this show are going to be incredibly enthusiastic and great. anxious to see what you guys are doing. I mean, I just think this is really a wonderful and exciting um, 
you know, peek into the world of the Census Bureau, and, and there's so much history there for you guys to offer. How wonderful that you're making it available. Well, we're really excited about it, I can promise you. Well, Bill, thank you so much for taking the time out to talk to us. Um, it just sounds like a terrific project, and I hope that you feel encouraged, because I can tell you the, the world of genealogists out there are going to be really excited about this. Great. Well, thank you very much for your call. Well, thank you to Bill Morey for talking with us about the new history website from the U.S. Census Bureau. Now, because the website hasn't been launched yet, they don't have and they're not releasing the official um, website address. But that should be coming out here within the next week. And as soon as I get it, I will probably post that on the Genealogy News blog. And then I'll mention it in next week's podcast so that you can go check it out. Now, we're not done visiting with the U.S. Census Bureau yet. I have a little audio clip from them. It's called Profile in America, and it, it's about something that's coming up here this last week of February in 2008. Profile America, Friday, February 29th. Today, the 31st Annual Crossword Puzzle Tournament and Convention kicks off in Brooklyn, New York. Some 700 puzzle solvers are expected to meet the challenge of eight different puzzles. The first crossword puzzle was created by journalist Arthur Wynne and appeared in the Sunday New York World in 1913. Wynne's puzzle was diamond-shaped and had no black squares. During the 1920s, other newspapers picked up the new pastime, and within a decade, crossword puzzles were featured in most every U.S. newspaper and began to assume their now familiar form. Today in the U.S., more than 32 million people enjoy solving crossword puzzles, about half of them two or more times a week. Profile America is in its 11th year as a public service of the U.S. Census Bureau. Well, to follow up on that celebration of the history of the crossword puzzle and the 31st annual crossword puzzle tournament, I have a very special genealogy crossword puzzle I've created just for you. So be sure, and at the end of this podcast, head over to genealogygems.tv, click on the podcast button, and you will find the show notes for this episode, 43, with all the links, all the information we've talked about, as well as a link to the genealogy crossword puzzle. So I hope you enjoy that. And I think that's just about it for today. I am so appreciative of you joining me today. It's been wonderful talking with you. And I hope you have a terrific week. Um, keep an eye out for that information coming up on the new history website from the Census Bureau. And uh, I hope that you'll drop me a line if you have a chance at genealogygemspodcast at gmail.com. So until next time, friend, thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.